welcome you to Alger Assembly of God, and we welcome you to a brand new series today. It's entitled Easter People. Easter people. It is March, as we mentioned, and April and Easter, both of those are just right around the corner. I came across this quote I liked. It says, we do not live to celebrate this victory once a year. We are Easter people. Every single day is victory again. I like that. Yes, Easter we celebrate and we remember Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again, he was resurrected. We remember the power of Easter, but it's not just one day a year that we celebrate. We can live in that that resurrection power year long. It says we are Easter people. We're going to take a little bit of an extended look over these next number of weeks leading up to and even just a bit beyond Easter, and that we are Easter people. We're going to spend a little bit more time, not just one time or not just one day, thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but uh, throughout the series. But as well in Easter people, the other meaning is this, we're going to be looking at some of the people who interacted with Jesus Christ during his life, during his death on the cross, the the burial, the resurrection. And so we are going to connect with, take a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the Easter people, some of those people who interacted with Jesus. Along the way, we'll learn a number of principles, things that you and I can put into practice in our lives as we encounter these individuals who've encountered the living Christ. So I invite you to turn with me in the Word of God to the Gospel of John. In the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Our first individual we're looking at is a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus. He, throughout the Scripture and throughout uh, the Gospel of John, this is the only book of the Bible, the only Gospel where Nicodemus is mentioned. He goes, in a sense, from this unbeliever, this Pharisee religious leader who little by little connects with and continues to interact with Jesus Christ up until the very end where he is proclaiming uh, his stance for the Lord. So in these three passages, we're going to start with the last one and we're going to work our way back to the first one. We put those on the screen. Those are the three passages where Nicodemus is mentioned Every single time he's mentioned, as he go forward through that book of John, he connects, he, he speaks and acts just a little bit bolder, just a little bit bolder, as he goes through a journey in his walk with Jesus. Little by little, God is working on the heart of Nicodemus. That's what we're looking at today. Little by little, God is working on your heart, working on my heart. So where do we end up with Nicodemus? The last mention is John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42. Now, we're not going to be reading every, every verse of this, but just to summarize where we see Jesus Christ has been crucified. He's been nailed to the cross. He has died. And now there are two individuals who come to get Jesus' body off of the cross. Nicodemus is there personally assisting Joseph of Arimathea in taking Jesus' body and preparing him for burial. Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices to prepare the body for burial. 
that would be kind of like the embalming of biblical days. No funeral homes, but they would use the spices, embalm, and, and prepare the body. And so what's unique is at this time, at the conclusion of the Gospel of John, as Jesus Christ has died, he's getting ready. These individuals are preparing his body for burial. Here's Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, and he steps forward, in a sense, as a bold follower of Jesus. Jesus was a polarizing figure. Many were speaking up in support of him, and religious leaders and others were speaking against him. And here he was at the end of Jesus' life as he died upon the cross, boldly calling for and helping out with his body. When most of the disciples fled, stood at a distance, or merely watched, not sure if they should get involved or would get involved because of what that would mean, Nicodemus stepped forward as a bold follower. In between, in the middle there, John chapter 7, that particular scripture, what we see in him is a little bit more of a verbal defender of Jesus. In John chapter 7, he is a Pharisee. He's one of those religious leaders. And Pharisees and priests had sent guards out to arrest Jesus. But they couldn't and didn't. And the Pharisees now are reprimanding the guards for their lack of effort there. Nicodemus stands up, speaks up. He says Jesus shouldn't be dismissed until they've heard from him. So he spoke up on his behalf. By the end of the book, bold follower. Here in the middle of a book, he's, he's defending verbally. And in response, the Pharisees launch an attack of their own on Nicodemus. There was a, a cost for speaking out towards Jesus. But the first mention is in John chapter 3. It's a, a rather familiar passage of Scripture in, in, in contains the most familiar, most well-known verse of Scripture in the entire Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the... God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Most have known of that, heard of that. Many could quote that. But maybe you don't know or maybe you've forgotten that that verse of Scripture is part of this interaction with Nicodemus. John chapter 3. So when we first meet Nicodemus, John chapter 3, in a sense he's a little bit of what some might call a silent seeker. But in the midst of that, here's what I want to encourage you with. Jesus welcomes our journey. I don't know where you might be in your journey with God or towards God, but he welcomes your journey. Nicodemus, as we first meet here in John chapter 3, he's seeking, he's searching, he's trying to figure some things out. By John chapter 7, he's speaking out for Jesus. And by the end of Scripture in the Gospel of John, he's boldly following, stepping out to help in the burial of Jesus Christ. There was a journey, there was a process here in Nicodemus. And I want to assure you that Jesus welcomes your journey. So, first of all, know that we can meet 
Jesus at any time. We can meet with him at any time. John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Now, if you're familiar with Nicodemus, if you've heard the biblical account in the story, you probably remember this detail because it's become part of his identity. How many of you know when you think of a, per, a particular person in Scripture, you usually associate it with something? When you think of Noah, you think of the ark. You know, if you think of uh, Thomas, you think of doubting Thomas. I mean, sometimes there's an adjective, sometimes there's a story. You think about King David, either you think about him as the king or you think about David and Bathsheba or David and Goliath. I mean, we associate people with something, something they did. Here in Nicodemus, many times people associate him with meeting Jesus at night. He was the very first Nick at night. Nicodemus met Jesus at night, and what's interesting, every single one of these three passages, based on the, uh, the scripture version or translation, they refer to Nicodemus the exact same way. Right here in John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, he came to Jesus at night. John chapter 7, verse 50, it says, he who came to Jesus by night. And in John 19, 39, in most versions or translations, it reads, who at first came to Jesus by night. It's as if John the writer is kind of, you know, knocking on your head. Hello, you, you remember? This is the guy who came at night. Became part of his identity. Now, we're told he came at night. We're reminded he came at night. We're reminded again he came at night, each of those three instances. But nowhere does John specifically or explicitly say why he came at night. Now, there's certainly a, a number of potential reasons. The, the most commonly accepted reason would be this. Nicodemus was a little scared, a little afraid to meet with Jesus during the day. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the uh, religious leaders who were at odds with Jesus. They were, in a sense, very religious, and they were following the details of the law, but they totally missed and totally overlooked who Jesus was and what he was looking to do. And so perhaps because he was one of those religious leaders coming to Jesus during the day would have... Would, just have brought a whole lot of attention upon himself and perhaps his standing. So the commonly accepted interpretation is he was afraid. Now, one author writes this. I found it interesting. He says, it's easy to question why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night away from the crowds. Those of us who have never faced any opposition for our Christian faith those of us who have probably more fish stickers on our cars than we have unbelieving friends might not get what it is like to live as a Christian in a desperately hostile environment. We would be foolish to consider Nicodemus a coward in this moment. Interesting. This author is saying, yes, maybe he was scared, maybe he, he was nervous and apprehensive, but maybe don't call him a coward. Try to, try to think through some of the things if you were in that position. 
Maybe he was just simply trying to be wise. So that is the most commonly accepted thought. A couple of other commentators would say this. Maybe he wanted to spend some private and uninterrupted time with Jesus. During the day, uh, as you read throughout Scripture, many times it was a crowd of people who were surrounding him. So some would say maybe he did it at night to have a little bit of an alone time, more of a one-on-one, kind of uh, you know, answer some questions. And then a, a third uh, individual brings this up. Maybe as a member of the Jewish council, as a Pharisee, he was simply wanting to examine and hear from another teacher's perspective and point of view. But most individuals would look to say, oh, he was fearful, he was scared, he was a little bit nervous about doing that, and so he came at night. Whatever the case, he came at night, and the assurance for you and the assurance for me is we can meet with Jesus at any time, morning, noon, or night. How many of you are morning people? Let me see that. I mean, you need to be like bold, raise it, raise, you know, raise it to the heights and say, yes. You know, I'd expected some people to kind of jump up and say me. I mean, you've been up for hours already, right? Morning people. The rest of you are looking at people who raise their hands with a little bit of a side eye. Like, what's up with them? Okay, on the opposite, how many of you would say you are a night owl? Stay up late, go to bed late, probably means get up late. I mean, you love hanging out at night. It doesn't matter whether you're a a morning person, a daytime individual, or a night owl. You can be assured we can meet with Jesus at any time. How many of you, you've had to call customer service for something? You've got, a, you've got a complaint, you've got a question, you've got an issue, and then you look and you see there's certain hours that they're available. But then you've got to find out, well, where am I calling? Because if they're in California, it's a three-hour time difference. So maybe they open at 9 o'clock, and so you call at 9 or 10 o'clock, but in California, it's three hours earlier. Jesus does not have this set time to say, okay, only during these hours of the day can you come to me, can you call upon me, can you meet me. Any time of the day, he's ready to meet with you and I. Any day of the week, we can meet with him. I don't know about you, many of you have maybe the same family doctor I do. Our family doctor is available three days a week. Because there are other obligations that he does and performs. So what if you get sick on one of those other four days? You're finding a walk-in clinic or if it's really serious, maybe an ER. I mean, doctors or, you know, even restaurants. Remember through the whole COVID thing, maybe they're open on the weekends but not the weekdays. They don't have enough business. And, And you're trying to figure out, are they open? Are they not? What's the hours? What's the days? Jesus is not like that. You don't need to get a business card out. You don't need to go hunt them down on Facebook or go check out their website to see, is he open? He's available for you. He's available for me. We can meet him at any time. Whenever we call upon him, Nicodemus came at night. Was he scared? Maybe. Was he a night owl? Maybe. Did he want a little one-on-one time? Maybe. Was he trying to check him out? Any of the above could be the case. He came at night and Jesus was available for him. He's available for you and he's available for me. 
We can come to him. We can call upon him. We can pray to him. We can seek him any time. In fact, Jeremiah chapter 29, 13 says, If you seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you seek me, if you come to me, if you turn to me, if you desire to meet with me, you'll find me. You'll hear from me. He, he's not out hiding himself from you and I. Jesus is able that we can meet him at any time. So I encourage you, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching or listening online, I don't know where you might be in your journey. Are you kind of where Nicodemus is here in chapter 3, a little bit of a seeker, not quite sure who Jesus is, and, and you're going to explore and investigate a little bit? He's ready, willing, and able and available to meet with you. He welcomes you on your journey. Second, understand this. You can present Jesus your questions. Bring your needs, bring your questions to him. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You've probably heard that phrase or heard that term, talking about a born-again Christian. You might not quite understand what that means. And Nicodemus was no doubt struggling with this. And in verse 4, he says, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I mean, if you heard the phrase, you must be born again, you're thinking, wait a second here, Jesus. I'm about yay big. I'm about yay wide. I'm about yay heavy. You're not getting me back in my mom's womb. And your mom is saying amen to that. I don't want you back in there at that size. He's not talking about a physical rebirth, this physical fresh start. He's going to interpret that and explain that here in a little bit. But Nicodemus is asking. And so they interact over the next number of verses. And then again in verse 9, Nicodemus asked, how can this be? Nicodemus had some questions. He's seeking out Jesus. He's, he's kind of beginning his journey. He met with Jesus that night. You and I can do that at any time. But he's bringing his questions to Jesus. How many of you know, in a sense, we are created to be curious? Do I have any curious people? People who ask a lot of questions? You know who ask a lot of questions? Kids. If you got kids or grandkids or you teach a class or you're a part of a school class or if you just ever once were a kid, which is all of us, we ask a lot of questions as kids uh, such as this. Where does the sun go at night? You ever been asked that one? Or maybe as a mom, you heard this. Mommy, my belly hurts. Am I pregnant? Questions. Maybe you've heard this one, or maybe you as an adult ask this one. Why can't I have chocolate for breakfast? Questions. Or maybe you've gotten this as a grandparent, or you ask this. You know, in the olden days when you were a boy or girl, was everything black and white? 
You know, you, you see movies and television, everything from uh, years ago, black and white. Kids ask a ton of questions, and unfortunately, it seems the older we get, the less questions we tend to ask. Because either we're not sure we want to know the answer, or we feel silly asking questions. You ever feel like, I should know that, so I just, I'll just act like I know instead of asking a question. And kids will just ask questions. What's that? What's that? Who's that? What's that? Question after question after question. God delights in our curiosity. He welcomes it. And Nicodemus is asking some questions of Jesus. He's not understanding everything. Maybe you've asked questions. I'd venture to say at some point in time, you or I, all of us, we've asked some of these what questions. I mean, what did Jesus do? Maybe at the beginning of your journey to Christ, you heard about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, and you said, what is that? What does that mean? What's a cross, and, and, and what did he do that for? What's he asking of me? What does the Bible say, and, and what am I supposed to do and live? Or here's a popular what question. What's going to happen next? You want to know about tomorrow. That's why a lot of people have sought things, uh, astrologers, and have their palms read. and they, they want to know about the future. So what's the future going to be like? What about tomorrow? Maybe you've asked some when questions. When is Jesus coming back? And the, the answer that you typically would hear is, soon. His return is closer now than it's ever been before. I've heard that for years and years and years. You probably have as well. But you might ask, okay, it's closer now, it's nearer now, but when? Matter of fact, when I was in middle school, uh, if you were alive back in the 80s, a man wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ Will Return in 1988. I remember being in middle school, and, and that was the buzz kind of around the, the nation, and a big plane flew overhead over the school, and everybody's looking around like, is that Jesus? But it, it was trying to answer a when question. Now, the Bible is very clear. No man knows the day or the hour. He's like, okay, well, no one knows the day or the hour. I'm going to tell you here's a handful of days. Well, it didn't happen. He came out with a sequel, 89 Reasons is going to be in 1989. It still hasn't happened. But there's a lot of people asking, when? When is Jesus coming back? Or how about this one? When will my prayer be answered? Maybe you've asked that one. God, I've prayed. God, I've prayed. Nothing's happening. When is it going to be answered? Maybe you've asked some how questions. How does this Bible apply to my life? This book that was written many, many years ago, how does it apply to me? Or how does Jesus help me in the challenges that I face? A lot of people ask how questions. But probably the most asked questions ever are the why questions. You've asked them too, right? I'm not the only one. I mean, why should I give my life to Jesus? I like my life. 
I'm living the way I want to live it. Why should I surrender to Jesus and try to follow something that's in a book? Why, why, why? Why did this person say or do that? The big one. Why did this happen? When a tragedy strikes, why did God allow this in the world? When a tragedy strikes your own life, why did this individual have this physical ailment, this financial difficulty? Why are we facing a loss of a loved one? I mean, you get it, right? You've been there. Who, where, what, why, how? We ask all kinds of questions. Let me assure you with this. God is big enough to handle your questions. You're not going to frighten him. You're not going to scare him. He's not going to crumble under the knee, uh, under the, underneath your question. You and I sometimes do. You ever been asked a question maybe by your kids or by your grandkids or by, you know, a kid in your class? And you're like, ooh, I don't know how to answer that one. Maybe they, maybe they ask you about finances or they ask you about death or they ask you about the birds and the bees and you're like Ooh, what do I say and we kind of kind of squirm a little bit at some questions that we get there's nothing that we could ask of him that would cause him to squirm he can handle our questions we can present him our questions in fact, Jesus himself on the cross asked a question. If you remember, he was crucified, and one of the sayings on the cross, he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To put it in, in our terms, a, a question that you might have asked, or maybe I've asked, is simply this, God, where are you? Where are you at? God, I don't see you. I don't sense you. I don't feel you. It seems like nothing is happening. God, where are you? So if you've had some questions like that at any part of your journey, just know you're not alone. As we, as we see Nicodemus meeting Jesus, that we can meet him at any time. We can present him with our questions. He welcomes that along the journey. He wants to help us and answer and walk us through some of those issues. But thirdly, what we see from him, you and I can experience this as well, is that we're to seek a new start. Again, verse 3 from John 3, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And they talk about that a little bit. And in verse 7, Jesus says, Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Again, Jesus is not saying you've got to somehow be smushed and repackaged and placed inside your mother's womb. He, he's not talking about that physical, fresh start. But Jesus is talking spiritually. You need a brand new start spiritually. A brand new start. And again, in the midst of John chapter 3, the most familiar verse of Scripture, that God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, 
Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Believing in him, it's the beginning of that new start. Jesus challenges Nicodemus, and he challenges you and I to seek a new start. You know, we need a new start in Jesus, not just knowledge. You see, believing in Jesus is so much more than just knowing facts and figures about him. You can be great at Bible trivia. You, you, might, you might know all the books of the Bible in order from Genesis to Revelation, and you can quote them super fast. That's great. You can answer all kinds of things in the Word of God, but knowing stuff about God, knowing stuff about the Bible is not the same as knowing him. We need a new start, a fresh start spiritually, more than just information. Information's good. Knowledge is good. Knowing trivia about God's word, it is good. But even the, the demons believe and tremble. They don't have a living relationship with him, but they know a whole bunch of stuff about him. That new start, that following after Jesus, it's making him our guide. I'm going to put you first in my life. The Bible talks about that as Lord and as Savior. He's number one. I'm going to follow him rather than what I want. I'm going to follow him in every area of my life. That's the new start. Not just saying, okay, I can answer a couple questions. It's Easter time. I can answer a couple questions about the biblical account. I hope that you can. But it's more than just knowledge. It's more than just trivia. It's a brand new start. A new start is also much more than religion, much more than tradition, and it's more than just good works. Nicodemus had a bunch of those things. As a Pharisee, as a member of the, the religious leaders, he had a lot of good effort, some sincere gestures, and a bunch of hard work. In other words, maybe he felt like he had a whole bunch of brownie points. You see, religious leaders, over the time, they would look at the Old Testament and, and the laws that were given, and then they would come up with a whole bunch of new ones to try to interpret what they were and to try to help people live them. And so they would try to keep these massive amounts of laws and rules and religious thoughts they didn't know Jesus. And so Nicodemus and others perhaps are knowing a whole lot. They're following after good things that are found in the word of God, but did not have a relationship with him. Now, you and I might not be a Pharisee or a member of this ruling uh, uh, religious leaders, but there's a lot of tradition and there's a lot of religious stuff that we do but it's a whole lot more than that. Listen, going to church is great. You are here in person. And many of you watching or listening online, that's awesome. Reading your Bible is incredible. Spending time with God and praying is incredible. Getting involved in ministry, serving is excellent. Giving in the ministry and, and supporting the work of Alger Assembly of God and missions, all of those are great things. But that's not what makes us right with God. 
Now, all of those things are mentioned in the Word of God as either commanded, instructed, or encouraged. But those things in and of themselves are not enough for salvation. You can go to church every time the doors are open, and that's great. We hope you do. But that's not enough for salvation. Nicodemus had done a lot of good things. Nicodemus knew a lot of the Word of God. Religious, traditions, works. All of those items and activities we mentioned are good, but they're not enough to get into heaven. According to Jesus, our works don't work. It's faith in Jesus. He said, you must be born again. Have a brand new start spiritually. In other words, you and I can't earn it. We can't do enough good things to get ourselves into heaven. I mean, you love brownie points from a teacher. Bonus points, right? We love to get bonus points or doing something for someone. Say, oh, man, I, I really appreciate that. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, that's great. But doing good things and earning brownie points isn't what gets us into heaven. Jesus says, you can't work your way into heaven. You and I, we're not good enough or kind enough or moral enough to get in. I know you're looking around, you're like, well, I'm pretty good. I know someone who's pretty good. Good works aren't enough for heaven. Now, what's interesting, Jesus keeps saying, you must be born again. You must be born again. Don't, don't be surprised at that, he says. And that verb here for born or born again, it's a passive verb indicating we can't do it. It must be done for us. We must be born again. That new start spiritually must be done by Jesus. I can't do it. I can't do enough good things. I can't help enough people out. Helping people is good. Giving is good. Serving is good. Reading is good. Praying is good. Attending. All of those things are good. I can't do enough good things to earn my way into heaven. We don't earn our way in. We receive it. And Jesus is saying, seek a new start. Be born again. Experience that fresh new start in me. Every single one of us needs that new start. I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers says. He says, no one is so bad that he cannot be saved. And no one is so good he need not be saved. Nobody's so bad. Nobody's done so many bad things that they can't turn to Jesus. But on the flip side... There's nobody that's so good and so incredible that they don't need Jesus in their life. So Jesus, he's trying to share with Nicodemus, listen, every single individual, even you, Nicodemus, as a religious, traditional, you know, trying to follow the letter of the law but not really knowing what it's about, every single person needs a brand new start. 
Jesus says to you and I, as he says to Nicodemus, I welcome you along the journey. You can meet with me at any time, he says. You can present me any question, but you've got to have a new start. And finally, we must encounter Jesus personally. Nicodemus comes to him personally. He doesn't send a text or an email. He doesn't send somebody else to go see Jesus. He meets with Jesus personally. Chapter 7, he stands up and speaks out for him. Chapter 19, he follows boldly, but it begins here with this personal encounter with Jesus. You and I need a personal encounter, a personal relationship with him. I trust that maybe you've got a spouse or a parent or a grandparent or you've got a friend or a coworker, someone that you know well that has a relationship with Jesus. And that's awesome. But you need one for yourself. I need one. I need a personal relationship just because I grew up in a Christian home and I'm thankful for that. Not just Christians. My dad was a pastor over 40 some years Grew up in a godly pastor's home. Nowhere in the word of God does it say I've got an exemption. Because my dad was a pastor, I don't need to come to him. I'm good. I'm in under my dad. I'm in under my mom. I'm in under, you know, grandparent who knew and loved God. Many of you have one of those or more of those as a parent or a grandparent. And that's great. You and I have got to encounter Jesus personally. We need a personal relationship with him. He can change our heart, our life personally. He can give peace to you, hope to you, joy to you and I in the midst of the most difficult of situations. Good news is he's ready to meet with you and meet with me at any time. Now understand this, and maybe you can see or experience this uh, kind of born across the, the relationships here. Some individuals hear about Jesus for the very first time and respond to Jesus immediately. For some of you, maybe in this room, watching or listening, that describes your experience. You heard about Jesus, your heart was touched, and you responded and became a Christian. You began that personal relationship with God. Others of you, maybe your journey took a little bit more time. Maybe it it took a multitude of times to hear the good news about Jesus. Maybe it was a whole bunch of Sunday school lessons, kids' church lessons, youth ministry lessons, services, camps, revivals, friendships, family members, whatever. Maybe, maybe at one point your heart was hardened against the Lord, and over the course of this journey, it softened towards God, and you surrendered your heart to Jesus. Chances are you might know somebody that's on either end of that spectrum or in between who came to know Jesus right away, someone who took a while to surrender their heart to the Lord or anything in between. The fact is clear, though. You and I have a choice. We've got a decision to make. What do we believe about Jesus? And not just what do I know about him. Not just what are some of the facts and figures and trivia about him, but what do I believe? What's interesting here, Nicodemus, when he was helping Joseph of Arimathea right after the crucifixion, and they asked for the body and preparing to uh, prepare that body for burial. 
Nicodemus didn't have the whole story. At that point, Jesus had died, and they're burying a dead man. They didn't know what was going to happen three days later. As Jesus Christ rose from the dead, as Jesus then would live and ultimately be resurrected and ascend into heaven. He didn't have the complete picture, and yet he boldly stepped out, probably under some potential consequences of doing so, and jumped to be a part of that. We've got the whole picture. We are Easter people. We know the end of the book. We know what happens in the end. Read Revelation to shorten it because of Jesus. We're on the winning side. We've, we've got the whole details. Nicodemus didn't have all of the details at that point and yet responded. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? Are we going to respond to Jesus Christ? So let me ask you, where are you on your spiritual journey? Are you just starting out? Or are you maybe like Nicodemus who's seeking and questioning and, and wanting to know a little bit more about who he is? Are you someone who's in a relationship with Jesus? You've got some questions of your own. Are you someone who needs a brand new start in your life? You can experience that today. Because Jesus welcomes you. He welcomes your journey wherever you might be. I'm thankful for my journey. Again, I grew up in a godly home, a Christian home, a pastor's home. Over 40 years ago, February 1st, 1981, as a six-and-a-half-year-old, I gave my life to Jesus. Now, as a six-and-a-half-year-old, I hadn't experienced a whole lot of life yet. I'd experienced a little bit of life, enough to know that I'd done some wrong things, that the Bible calls sin, and I needed to be forgiven. So my journey was a, a rather short journey. As I grew up in a godly home, I heard a lot about Jesus, and at a young age, I had an opportunity to respond. But where are you? Watching or listening, where are you today in your walk with Jesus? He welcomes your journey. He welcomes that process. He says, I'm ready to meet with you at any time. You can present your questions to me at any time. But he says, I want you to seek a brand new start. You must be born again. Not physically back into your mother's womb, but a spiritual fresh start. Your sins cleansed, your sins forgiven as we put Jesus first in our life. 